Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. these magazines and you're seeing these guys transform their bodies 
And you, you ask yourself the question, can I really look like that? Can I aspire to that look? So that's how it started for me. And then the first Miss Olympia took place. I believe that was in 1966, uh, created by, of course, Joe Weider. And I got my first look at Harold Poole. And the other stars were great. Larry Scott was great. He was known for his bolder shoulders and biceps, and he had those Hollywood looks. But for me, Harold had the muscle density and muscularity that was unequal for that time, even by today's standards. I mean, if you see Harold's most muscular pose, it's really something to behold. And for me, Harold Poole was the inspiration. I mean, every time I saw a photo of him, I just had to stop and admire not only his natural structure and his symmetry, but that unbelievable muscularity that he that he carried along with him uh, throughout his career, really. So that's how it started for me. And uh, he uh, competed in the first Miss Olympia, of course, and came in second. He came. He competed in the second Mr. Olympia. He again came in second. Most analysts felt. Uh, frankly, he was cheated there. He should have won. But uh, And then the third Mr. Olympia, he came in third in that one behind uh, uh, Sergio Oliva, and I believe the second uh, competitor, I believe, was uh, uh, Chuck Sipes. And how, but at one point in the voting, it was my understanding that Harold was put in first place. It didn't turn out that way in the end. So for me, uh, Harold's physique was just something to aspire to. He is incredible. He, uh, I've seen uh, now too that I'm researching it. Um, I, I saw pictures, and he was he was incredible for the time, and, and that was a time of legends in bodybuilding. Uh, so to stand out among like Sergio Oliva and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Larry Scott, that that was quite an accomplishment. It was, and I had felt that. Even though, you know, Harold, Joe did put Harold in the magazines and he was never quite given the uh, the PR, if you will, and the exposure that I felt he should have received. I knew people that knew Harold. I met, met Bill Grant. I don't know if you remember uh, Bill Grant from the 70s. He was also a, a very successful bodybuilder, Mr. World, Mr. Universe. And he, we were talking about some of uh, my favorites and he said Harold was a very shy, a shy person. You know, he wasn't uh, boisterous, wasn't uh, the type of person to brag about himself. He was quiet, shy, and demure. And maybe that was part of it, but he, I felt as though he never got the exposure he should have gotten. Uh, in 1964, he became the first African-American to win the Mr. America title. Uh, that was when he switched to IFBB from the AAU. And... Uh, even uh, he was also popular for being Twiggy's bodyguard. Yes, <laughs> Those yeah. of us who are old enough to remember Twiggy, the model, when she came from England to America, he was her bodyguard for quite some time. And he ran some discos. I believe the disco, it was the Cheetah Disco in New York. He managed that for a while. So he did get around a bit, but when he passed away in uh, 2014, I believe, he just I, I only found one article and all of them uh, journals, uh, bodybuilding journals, and I believe that was in Muscular Development, that really paid, paid homage to him. I didn't find anything in the Weider magazines. It's possible I overlooked them, but I don't think so. And it, it just moved me that I wanted to uh, just speak a little bit about him. 
and uh, his training techniques and what have you. So that's what uh, inspired me to, um, uh, you know, uh, discuss him with you. It's uh, an amazing thing that uh, the influence of uh, these uh, people who we don't know uh, or know uh, by one step removed as uh, uh, when you spoke to the bodybuilder about him, um, what an effect they can have on us. One of my mythical mentors and inspirations was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. And I studied about Arnold to see you know, how Arnold got the way uh, Arnold uh, was. And Arnold did the same thing with Reg Park. So yes. uh, the effect of studying somebody you admire, and I've since used it in other areas of my life as well, you know, like uh, people I look up to who are doing something that I want to do, reading about them and, 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 and seeing, you know, what was their mindset? What did they actually do as opposed to, you know, what people think they did? Um, Arnold uh, did something that uh, um, he used to write, uh, he had a list of things that he wanted to accomplish mm-hmm. and he used to read the list repeatedly. And I mm-hmm. adopted that a, a few decades ago and found that it's a very effective way of keeping yourself focused because you're continuously reminding yourself and life is distracting as it is. It pulls you in this direction and the next, but if you're reading a list and it's in your pocket all the time, it will keep you uh, much more focused uh, than most. So um, did you learn any lessons like life lessons from uh, studying Harold Poole? I did. I did. You know, uh, the story goes with him because he was absolutely, without question, my favorite at that time. Uh, he also had a stuttering problem. He, uh, mm-hmm. he would stutter. You know, he just uh, had that condition to deal with. And because of that, it made him more aggressive in terms of his training. He was determined to prove that he could be reach his idyllic uh, uh, image, if you will, the, what he aspired to. And those who knew him said because he had this stuttering problem, he was ferocious in the gym. You know, it just made him even more aggressive in terms of reaching his own goals and developing the body that he visualized for so, so many years. So I did learn that about him. And uh, between the stuttering problem and being a shy person by nature, he worked twice as hard to get where he wanted and he did it through those barbells and dumbbells i mean that was that was those were that he was the clay and those were his tools so uh, that's what i inspired me most about harold and then to see how just uh, impressive he was uh just was amazing i mean even as, as a teenager he had all the tools i mean he was an athlete early on in school and the shot put and he uh I think he placed fourth in his high school wrestling. He was, um, in 1963, he won the AAU team in America. I believe he was the youngest to do that. Uh, So he just, you know, he just uh, took his disabilities or his challenges, if you will, and he used barbells and dumbbells in the gym as his vehicle to achieve what he wanted to achieve. And I think that's what inspired me most about him. Uh, secondly, it was his muscle density. I mean, you know, between the definition and the density of his muscles, even for that time, uh, I, I, I couldn't find anyone to compare, frankly. I posted the magazine cover that you had sent me again in the thread for this interview so that people uh, 
who are listening and on Facebook at the same time, which uh, many of our listeners have reported that they do. Uh, this way they get to see another uh, uh, photo of him. Right. I, I'll tell you, it's uh, even by I, the only ones that might, might have compared in that time, I don't know if you remember, uh, Ricky Wayne. You don't hear much about him. But Rick Wayne from the islands, uh, he had great muscle density. But there weren't too many many, uh, athletes out there who had the kind of muscle density that that, uh, Harold uh, possessed. And uh, that's what impressed me most. I mean, it was just something to aspire to. He had tremendous traps, and the biceps were full. Uh, The abs were just where they needed to be. Just an incredible athlete all the way around, I felt. Um, do you, have you incorporated any of his workout uh, techniques into your workouts? Well, his workouts were pretty, turned out to be pretty basic, you know, the basic stuff, uh, press behind the neck, uh, bench press. Uh, He did about 33 sets total in his workouts, but what he did do, what he did believe in is getting closer to contest time, contest preparation. He would up, lighten the weight, of course, and up all of his, uh, Repetitions, right. 50, yeah. 20, 25 repetitions. And I could see how that would work even in my own training. For years, I would train to six to eight reps, as an example, for uh, side dumbbell extensions for the uh, mm-hmm. medial delt. And I never quite developed that V where the medial from the side view, that uh, outer uh, uh, deltoid ties into the tricep. It was only when I upped the reps and lightened the weight that I really started to see that kind of separation that I was so envious of that I, I wanted to achieve. So uh, that's another place where I related to his training. He definitely believed in higher reps and getting that burn, you know, to develop that uh, separation that it can be so impressive between the shoulders and the outer triceps. So I learned that from his training as well. Uh, but outside of that, it was pretty basic training, you know, uh, pretty uh, mostly with barbells, and again, it, when it came time to cut up, he would utilize high reps and cables. And I'm going to try to incorporate that into my workout. Workout mm-hmm. now. Uh, right now, I'm doing uh, the eight to twelve uh, rep range, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, when it get when twelve becomes easy, I increase uh, the weight. And uh, because I, I, I'm working on uh, just about exclusively with uh, dumbbells and kettlebells uh, because of mm-hmm. space considerations, uh, but uh, now I've conditioned myself that I'm ready to go to a gym again. It's been a couple of decades since I went to a, a, a professional gym. Uh, in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, I had a gym in my basement uh, with two benches and a leg press machine and uh, you know a couple of the other like old body machines. Uh, um, and so I was able to work out fairly well at home, but here I can't do that. Uh, so I'm looking for a gym. So that is definitely something I could do. I could do the heavier stuff at the gym and uh, the 25 reps at, at home because uh, um, I would like to look sharper and more defined. So I will try that definitely. How have your joints held up in your own training when it came to the heavier movements, uh, working with the barbell? Have you held up pretty well in terms of your back and your shoulders in pennsylvania yes here i've been here like uh, five years and i haven't mm-hmm. uh, had the space for a barbell so i do dumbbells i have a history right. of screwing up my rotor uh, my rotor cuffs so mm-hmm. uh, i tend to stick with uh like 
like 15, 20, uh, 25 pounds for the uh, uh, deltoid uh, exercises. And then when mm-hmm. I start feeling a certain way, I stop and I alter the angle of my exercises and lower the weights again uh, till that works itself uh, out. But I've, I've thrown my shoulders out so many times I can't even count uh, since I was a kid and I started uh, bodybuilding. That was the one drawback. You know, uh, most of the guys at that time, and, you know, the old schoolers, they had so many uh, answers uh, as far as effective training. But the one thing they did, most of these guys today, Frank Zane as an example, uh, have shoulder problems today because of the heavy barbell movements that they did. And Larry Scott later in his later years even advised, don't use a barbell, you'll blow your shoulders out. And he had, he was known for his shoulders. So I think the, the later on, even the old schoolers learned that, you know, these, some of these power movements and barbell movements, you pay a price later on for a lot of this. So, and like you, I have a bad rotor, rotator cuff in my left shoulder. So uh, I like what you're doing in terms of using the kettlebells and dumbbells. I think you can achieve so much in sculpting your body. And I think even the old schoolers learned that later on in their training. The old schoolers had a lot of, I, I, I recommend to people that uh, they try things, but uh, be aware that uh, some of the things that the old time uh, strongmen and bodybuilders did wasn't healthy. Like, uh, I, I think I gave myself type 2 diabetes by going on like the gallon of milk recommendation <laughs> in some right, of the old bodybuilding right. material. I was lactose intolerant. So it took mm-hmm. me a good year to build up the tolerance to be able to drink a gallon of milk a day. Uh, And then it was like eating all those oranges, you know, so I I was eating on top of that uh, six oranges a day, too. And for a while in the beginning, um, the Mm -hmm. muscularity and the strength came and it was incredibly awesome. Uh, Mm -hmm. But within a very short period of time, I got so weak, I could barely stand. And I fell downstairs a couple of times. And I discovered when I when my wife finally convinced me to go to the doctor because, you know, Fall downstairs, ha, you know, <laughs> but uh, exactly. so I to the doctor and uh, um, I, I found I had a type two uh, diabetes and they told me that all the sugar from the milk and the oranges uh, could have pushed me over. Um, well, so, you know uh, what? Uh, yes, they, they, they aspired. There was a, a, there weren't many diet gurus at that time, but the one guru right. that most of them seemed to follow was a guy by the name of Rio Blair. I don't know if you heard of him. Uh, he passed the away, but he was one. He was a, a, a guru to the bodybuilders, and he endorsed a diet p- p- similar to what you're describing. Basically, a lot of calcium, protein, and fat. He would he had a heavy cream diet that he used to recommend. Uh, a lot of heavy cream, a lot of fruit on a regular basis, and he recommended uh, lots of calcium, calcium supplements, hydrochloric acid tablets. These guys used to carry them out to restaurants. And the problem with that diet, of course, is part of what you're describing. That is a lot of sugar, and it was a lot of saturated fat. So while you grew on that, you did grow on that diet. Yeah. Uh, down the road, it could, for some, it could be unhealthy. And but in the beginning, yeah, a lot of the old schoolers, he was he was the guru. He was the diet guru that everybody turned to. But in those days, they were more. Uh, Obsessed with gaining size. Gaining size was their goal and strength. And they did. They did. But again, with that kind of diet, yeah, there are some risks involved. You know a lot about the the history. I'm going to be looking forward to future shows 
mm-hmm. where we discuss these things, and your your knowledge is uh, very vast, and uh, um, yeah, you, you are very articulate. So uh, I'm really enjoying this. Um, do you remember the liver tablets? I used to carry those everywhere. I certainly do. I certainly do. That was another. That was another secret weapon. Yes, yeah. uh, I actually believe that it, it, today, if you get the defatted uh, supplements, liver tablets can still be very beneficial um, because they're high in all of the B vitamins. There's protein. They're high in iron, so you want to be a little careful of that. But uh, do you still use the uh, iron tablets? I mean the. Um, this uh, liver tablets today, are you still using them? No, uh, I just started using vitamins again and, uh, and shakes. Uh, now mm-hmm. there are nut milks, so it gets around the, uh, you know, I can use almond milk or almond cashew or almond coconut. Uh, I don't need to use dairy, so that's been helping uh, a lot. But I will check right. it out. I'll try them again and see what happens. Uh, uh, with me, with a lot of the vitamins, uh, I used to review them. And mm-hmm. I would pick a vitamin and try it for like 30 days and see what happened and then stop using it for 30 days and see, and see mm-hmm. what happened. Uh, and uh, some of them, there were results like with CLA. Um, I right. had results every time I've used the CLA uh, with mm-hmm. uh, lutein and other eye vitamins. Uh, they mm-hmm. sharpened my eyesight uh, tremendously. And then other right. ones, I tried them several times, and whether I took them or didn't take them, it didn't seem to really matter, uh, so I dropped mm-hmm. them. But I haven't done liver tablets since, uh, I guess, my early 20s. Uh, so I can order them again and try them and see what happens. Uh, I will get a result, and I know what to look for now, and I, don't, I do it systematically. So uh, I will definitely uh, try it and get back to you on it. Yeah, well, that, I believe there was definite uh, benefit to using the liver tablets, desiccated liver. Usually they're defatted. There's no cholesterol, no fats. They remove those through a, uh, a, a freeze-dried process. And, yeah, I still, I still do believe as far as build, building muscle and energy, I believe they can be very beneficial. And uh, the B-complex is very important. And yes. uh, they are loaded with B-complex vitamins as well as uh, iron. So, yes, I think they're one of the uh, old-school supplements that still hold up today. Uh, but the diet that these guys used to follow back then, I don't think it was uh, contributed to overall good health down the line. But, again, these guys were mostly their goal was power and size in those days. And that's another reason why, you know, I was so drawn to the look that Harold Poole carried with him because it was just an incredible amount of muscularity there for that day. And, uh, I, again, I think his look, and it's amazing, really, his look can pretty much hold up even by today's standards. It's a shame he never was recruited into uh, the Peplum uh, films. Uh, um, he would have made an awesome uh, a mythic hero. Oh, he certainly would have. I mean, he had the look times ten, really, in terms of muscularity. There was one, uh, uh, I don't know, if you, are you familiar with Serge Nubray? Uh, again, your knowledge is vaster than mine. Uh, it rings a bell, but uh, not very strongly. Serge Nubray, uh, if you saw the movie Pumping Iron, uh, okay. Serge Nubray was uh, was the last um, last uh, surprise entrant into the Olympia contest, and he actually came in second in the 1975 Mr. Olympia. No one expected him to enter. He entered at the last minute, and Lou Ferrigno came in third. They featured all of this in Pumping yes, Iron. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, if you go back and watch that film, you'll see Serge Nubray. 
he was he, he didn't have the muscularity that Poole did, but very few did. But what he did have for a big man was, I used to call him these racehorse lines. Uh, he mm-hmm. had incredible symmetry for a big man. And quite frankly, I mean, I think he could have taken the 1975 Mr. Olympia. Uh, and Lou was certainly shocked that when, when he, Lou expected to, if not win the contest, certainly come in second. As it turned out, he came in third behind Serge Nubray. But he was another – he, he uh, did act in some Peplum films, most of which were in French, were filmed in France. But he was a standout as well. <clears throat> we can do a show on him if you'd like. Uh, I learned a lot more about Harold Poole than I ever thought I'd know. So uh, I, w- I would love if you have other people that inspired you, if you'd like to uh, honor them, that would be great. I would love to. I think it's uh, it's uh, important for those of us who engage in physical culture to look at some of these earlier heroes and what they did and how they trained. I find more inspiration there than I do in some of the uh, uh, you know uh, guys these days that are training because, well, quite frankly, we, you know we know some of these guys are not all they're not all doing it naturally. So right. uh, for me, my inspiration comes from these natural heroes who were such an inspiration to us as we were coming up. Um, Now we are approaching the end of our journey for today, but I could extend it because I was just going to make some announcements uh, uh, between this segment and the next. So if you're up to Mm -hmm. it, I can go for another 10 minutes or so. How about you? Absolutely. Fantastic. Let's, uh, let's do it then. Um, One of the things I'm finding now that I'm, you know, really, really focused on uh, uh, my fitness as much, every spare moment is dedicated to my fitness. And uh, I was fortunate. uh, I'm now the champion of the Tenafly Mayor's Wellness Campaign. Mm -hmm. And I've been there for a while, but I I would do something every year uh, for town fitness. But now I'm on it uh, more. I was able to budget more of my time and energy toward it. And the Cresco Public Library uh, also made me their champion of optimal uh, fitness. That's exciting. uh, Oh, it's very exciting because uh, (laughs) I I love uh, being part of my community. And this gives me me more motivation to excel because now it's not just me I'm responsible for. I'm responsible, you know, to fill uh, the shoes of these uh, uh, titles. Um, Absolutely. And uh, obviously you're an inspiration to to the young people coming up. And they, those as well who have an interest in physical culture. And uh, I think that's a wonderful thing. It's great. Thank you. And I'm finding that some of the early practices I, I had as a teenager actually very effective. Uh, I started hanging up uh, um, pictures um, mm-hmm. on my wall of not only uh, um, Herculean art throughout the ages, but also I have Lou Ferrigno now. I ordered one with uh, Steve Reeves. I ordered one with uh, Dwayne Johnson uh, the Rock, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm looking for one of Sergio Chiani. There aren't that many pictures available uh, uh, of him that I could locate uh, so far. Uh, but was that are, Alan Steele? Alan Steele, yeah, that was his uh, name. Um, I tried finding him, and it took me a few years to locate somebody who knew him, mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to interview him because he influenced me a, a great deal, like Harold Poole influenced uh, you, 
And yes. uh, um, I, I would have loved to interview him. But as soon as we made the connection, uh, he died that week. <laughs> so, My God, you know, I had. Yeah, he, I mean, it hasn't been too long since he has passed oh, away. No. And uh, I was surprised uh, to hear that, yes. Yeah, it was, it was horrible because <laughs> he was almost within reach, and I wanted to personally thank him uh, for uh, you know being a positive influence on my life, and uh, um, you know through his bodybuilding and also through his portrayal of uh, Hercules, because he gave Hercules a sense of humor, you know, a, a human touch, like a lightness uh, that uh, a lot of the other movies uh, lacked. You know, so he did, uh, I he mean, did. I, I loved Hercules against the Moon Men. I thought it was yes, a it lot was of fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's great when you can actually thank people uh, personally. Uh, I've had the, like, uh, uh, um, I thanked, uh, now I'm drawing a blank on his name, and he's a famous uh, person, Ray Harryhausen. Uh, I got to meet him when I had a fringe TV show, and I interviewed him. And, uh, um, you know, so I got to thank him uh, personally. And Lloyd Kaufman inspired me to make movies and, I, and he was on my show a few times when I had the TV show. So uh, it's always a great uh, thing if you can thank someone personally, uh, but if you can't, the next best thing is what we're doing today uh, to do tribute, to keep their memory alive and to let other people know uh, so that they might become curious and, and look them up and you know, see if they can learn something. Absolutely. As fans like us who are ca- carrying these images forward in the memory of these heroes, uh, that we can do that. We can use that as a vehicle uh, to keep their images and their, their inspiration going, the inspiration that they shared with us when they were living. And they were giants, and they did leave uh, their mark upon uh, our psyches and uh, upon uh, the earth. And uh, it's neat that we uh, learn about them and uh, um, be inspired by them and move forward uh, because of them. Right. Well, you know, I, I, I again, for me, it was like the gods come to Earth, the gods yeah. descending to Earth when I discovered these guys in the magazines. You know, the, the, the myths of the Greeks had so enamored me. And then to see these guys and it was like the gods had descended. And that's the greatest inspiration in my life. And, and mine as well. And I and I am Greek, so I grew up with these stories. And oh my the, goodness. I, I, I was also born in 59 when uh, uh, Hercules with Steve Reeves came to this uh, country. Uh, so, and I, so I grew up with the Peplum films on, on black and white TV. So they got mixed in with the stories uh, that I learned uh, as a child. And then later on, when I went to Greek school, uh, the stories I was taught uh, there. So they became part of my living mythology. Um, and uh, by the end of uh, parochial school, um, I knew that that's where I belong because I resonated with these images and with these uh, tales. Uh, and even today, they're, they're part of a living mythology. They're part of a living uh, spiritual heritage that uh, um, has, uh, th- has contributed more to my life than almost anything else. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, and it's with you for life. It's with you for life. Yes. The inspiration, the color, the excitement that the images of these athletes uh, brought to us it's with you for a lifetime. It was the greatest inspiration in my life as well. I can't think of anything, frankly, to compare. It, it's always been with me. 
And I'm very honored to announce uh, to our listeners uh, that uh, Michael and I spoke a little bit before the show. Michael will be um, on a segment to focus on bodybuilding training, uh, and that will be starting next week. And uh, by July, it will be a regular monthly uh, segment. So I'm greatly looking forward to that because, again, you bring a lot to the table. And we'll continue our conversations on the bicameral mind and on optimal wellness. Uh, But this will be a very welcome addition uh, to what we currently have available about uh, bodybuilding and peplum. Well, I'm excited. And thank you so much for the opportunity. And uh, maybe we can share some uh, anti-aging and supplement uh, news as well. I do have a creative health manual that I just published this year, and I would like to share some concepts and theories from that with your audience. And uh, if you would kindly allow me to do that, I think it would be fun. That would be awesome. We could do it on the Optimal Wellness uh, shows. Um, That would be great. In July, uh, there is an opening on that, so I could definitely uh, put it there, and we can uh, explore that. Uh, I'd be honored to review the book, and if you can kindly tell people where they can obtain uh, the book that you published, that would be awesome. Uh, They can uh, write to me at Box 129 in Caldwell, New Jersey, and the zip is 070. Uh, 06-07006 in Caldwell, New Jersey. That's box 129. Uh, it's quite extensive manual. It's only $3 a copy. And, oh, wow. Uh, That's, that is yeah. what, what a bargain. Yeah, it's just enough to cover printing, and I think uh, uh, people will get a lot out of it. Uh, it's a, most of it is up-to-date news, and my own concepts in terms of diet and supplementation, and Quite frankly, the theory, various theories on how can we slow the aging process? How can we slow it down? And so it's, I think it's an interesting area to explore. And uh, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that with your audience and with you. Oh, that, that would be awesome. If you can PM me or email me uh, the information, I'll make sure that it's posted. Or if you'd like to add it to the, to the thread uh, so that people can contact you, that would be great. Wonderful, wonderful. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this, and I thank you so much for opening up the avenues to uh, just discuss these great people, these great legends. Uh, when they when they appeared on the screen with swords, it wasn't computer graphics. These guys, these guys, no. these guys had to practice. <laughs> these guys where you had to hold a sword in their hand and really do their thing. It's not like today, and that's another area. Of uh, that I admire most about these guys. They were really athletes. And before we close, I, I was looking on the internet to see if I could find it. Uh, I'd written an article um, called Facing Yeras. Uh, Yeras, uh, I'll explain in a second, and it's on getting older. And I'll okay. just quickly read a few short paragraphs, uh, because, uh, and this leads into the anti-aging. Uh, mm-hmm. Although the tale does not survive, Hercules' encounter with Yeras, known to us as old age, is preserved on ancient pottery. Yeras was said to be a child of Erebus and Nyx, or sometimes the issue of primordial night alone. As can be expected, in some depictions, our hero is engaged in staving off or actually fighting old age. The shriveled and diminutive Yeras doesn't seem to stand a chance. 
In other depictions, the encounter between Hercules and Geta seems remarkably free of conflict, almost friendly. How do we reconcile these contradictory images? Perhaps there are different points in a greater tale. Perhaps they depict different incidents altogether. Alas, we may never know. Now that I'm in my late 50s, and uh, I'm in my very late 50s now, I turn 60, according to American Reckoning, uh, tomorrow, uh, with at least half of my life behind me, I would like to venture a guess. At my age, the impulse to mitigate the effects of aging, which can no longer be ignored, is quite strong. Exercise, supplementation, and diet are recruited, and a variety of cosmetic, emotional, mental, and spiritual techniques are gradually added to our arsenal of weapons with, until Yeras is kept at bay. Some fight harder with drugs, surgery, and fringe or cutting-edge science. Though this struggle, through this struggle, acceptance eventually emerges, and with it, peace. Embracing old age and facing the finality of all mortal life allows you to appreciate the preciousness of each and every passing moment. When I personally found myself there, I made a promise. Until I die, I resolve to fully live. So that will be a great lead into your uh, anti-aging because I'm going to recruit them in uh, my personal uh, wrestling with Yetis. That's 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 a remarkable article. I'd like to have that. I'd like. I uh, how long ago did you write that? Uh, I wrote it, I believe, when I was in my uh, mid fifties, so uh, like five mm-hmm. years ago or so. Well, I love I love the symbolism of that, and I, I love the message behind it. And uh, yeah, we we cherish. You know, we just it's no no longer becomes a fight. It just becomes what can we do? We utilize creative mind, and that's why I call my manual Creative Health Manual. What can we do creatively as well as scientifically to slow that process and yet enjoy the fact that we appreciate the process of getting older much more than we ever have because we're in that we're in that zone now that's the zone we're in i'm 67 and uh, i'm like a little child i guess when it comes to uh the myths and the the heroes of that time because it still inspires me just as much now <laughs> as it did uh, back in high school back in the early days so uh, you know you carry that youthful energy with you through the years. I mean, uh, biological aging has no meaning when it comes to that kind of inspiration and creativity. Very well and powerfully said. Michael DeRussi, thank you so much. I enjoy having you on. I'm looking forward to having you on uh, even more. Um, Thank you uh, very much. Thank you, and I'm so happy to be part of the family. Thank you. To our audience, I'm going to play a quick song, Brand Dorian's King of Dreams, and then we'll be back for an update on uh, the evolution of Pride of Olympus. Scattered mind, dreamy pale moonlight. 
Greetings and welcome back to Pride of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, your host, and uh, I will start explaining a little bit more about the Pride of Olympus, which uh, in this incarnation is a podcast, and uh, give it a slightly greater context because we're going to be moving to fleshing out that context in the very near future. Now, the Pride of Olympus in, our, in its original conception is our Merkaba, our sun chariot, our celestial barge, the wheels within wheels shamanic vehicle that facilitates our journeys to the astral realms of Gaia's world tree. The Pride of Olympus is our metaphorical vehicle for exploring various thematically related but seemingly different approaches concerned with explaining our human origins guiding our human development, and actualizing our maximal potential. The Pride of Olympus supports all of humanity's efforts to transcend this world and venture forth into the great beyond, be they metaphysical, mechanical, or even imaginal. And like all astral conveyances, the Pride of Olympus can and does assume many forms, including uh, podcasts. Uh, now, we have a long history of Pride of Olympus uh, podcast, even before the show became its own entity. Um, it was featured on Voice of Olympus and on the Elysium Project, our two other uh, podcasts. And uh, we operate on several different levels even now. Uh, in terms of the Olympian spheres, which uh, interests uh, many people, uh, the Pride of Olympus is, as I said, our Merkaba. It's a manifestation of the first cosmic ray and represents the divine will of the Olympian Council, also known as the Astra Planeta, the Theon Imerai, and the Wandering Stars in this tree of worlds. The Pride of Olympus currently serves as a shamanic vehicle for exploring the seven heavens, the vault of heaven, and the in-between realms. The Pride of Olympus also champions the cause of cosmic Olympianism and safeguards the path of mythic ascension, as it says in the song, also known as apotheosis. These adventures are chronicled in a variety of places, including this podcast and several uh, e-zines at present. Uh, Athena and I are the representatives of the Lord and Lady of the Solar and Lunar Orbs. Uh, they are Elohim who guide all who tread the heroic path. Mount Olympus is the part of Olympus's home base. It was glimpsed first in ruins and then subsequently restored in my primal vision, which I've shared numerous times. Mount Olympus is the ultimate inspiration for Elysium, the ideal place we strive to actualize on Gaia. Now, I will introduce the Olympian Star Siege Initiative now, which has been public on and off uh, for most of my life. Uh, the Olympian Star Siege Initiative is a support system for incarnate Olympians and the archetypal Olympian patterns embedded in humanity. It provides community and disseminates information to all light workers and star seeds dedicated to human potential, the ascension process, transcendence, and the great awakening on Gaia. Establishing our temenos is our current priority. The word temenos means sacred space in Greek. We have a mobile Olympian outreach, which establishes contact and forms working relationships with organizations dedicated to the ascension process, 
actualizing human potential, transcendence, and the great awakening on Gaia. Uh, during a lot of my talks and workshops, I make this uh, information uh, freely available to all who are interested in it. Um, and uh, we invite people to uh, share with us uh, where they are and where they'd like to go and then invite them to the appropriate uh, workshops. Uh, we also review books on ancient astronauts, UFOs, aliens, uh, UFO contactees, and channel communications uh, in Cosmic Reviews. And uh, these are available still in some form in our website. And also we have an interview site which supplements our podcast in which we get to know out-of-this-world individuals who are actively engaged in fulfilling their own cosmic missions. So that is on one particular level. Then there is Olympian science. We live in an exciting age where science actualizes ideals and opens the doors to realities previously restricted to the realms of science fiction and astral exploration. Mount Olympus strives to keep our communities informed about the latest developments in space science, genetic engineering, artificial intelligence, robotics, and other related fields. We disseminate this data and explore its implications through our Olympian workshops and mythic activities. We also donate nonfiction, science books, and other media to local community organizations whenever we have them available. And uh, these Events are mostly held at the Crestville Public Library at this particular point uh, in time. I've also gotten involved with uh, several uh, enhancement uh, companies, enrichment companies that uh, focus on uh, space science and other futuristic sciences, uh, and I teach them in uh, various schools in our community. And in addition to science and uh, metaphysics, or physics and metaphysics, if you prefer. Uh, we also focus on science fiction. Uh, we have a role-playing game, uh, which is an interactive storytelling activity called Stargate Olympus. Uh, and uh, most recently, we had the Time Wars uh, to consolidate all the timelines that had accumulated uh, since uh, the dawn of the role-playing hobby back in the mid-1970s. Uh, we also have a live action, the God Chariot Hermes and God Chariot Kronos, uh, and they're our primary vehicles for interacting with science fiction fandom. Uh, our Mythic Atlantis events are where we are face-to-face -face interactions with uh, uh, other science fiction fans often take place. Uh, we have Olympian workshops that incorporate science fiction themes uh, and explore them further. Uh, Return to the Robots was one of our latest uh, series that included science fiction. And we also review science fiction books, movies, games, and other media. Uh, whenever we have them available, as stated, we give away free books, uh, science fiction in this case, and other media to our participants, or donate them to local institutions such as public libraries. Um, as stated, the goal of Pride of Olympus is to support all of humanity's efforts to transcend the world and venture forth into the great beyond, be they metaphysical, mechanical, or even imaginal. And while we're here, until that happens, we are stewards of this planet, and our creativity is our most divine ability, and with that creativity 
We have to find ways of making this world a better place for all. Uh, and not just all humans, but for all living things that share this earth with us. And our next guests um, will be speaking with us about their efforts and the efforts of other people in our community to protect the animals uh, who share our community with us. And until that time, we'll listen to some music, starting with Man in the Moon by Brian Henke.
and welcome back to Pride of Olympus. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus, and in the second portion of our show, we are going to be speaking with champions of Arcadia, Mark and Kim Nagelhout, who are animal activists that are very active and very busy protecting uh, the rights of all living things. Greetings and welcome, Mark and Kim. Thank you for having us, Hercules. Oh, it's a great honor. I've heard about you guys uh, through many different people, and so I'm glad we finally uh, connected and that we're moving uh, forward. Um, In this first episode, um, I would like to get to know both of you, um, your life journey, uh, your adventure, your meeting, your being champions together, and uh, up, up until what you're currently doing now. Uh, and then I'd like to devote a series of shows to each of the efforts that you're involved in. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, awesome. So how did this journey begin for you? Uh, When did you first know uh, that you wanted to devote your life toward helping animals? Well, okay, Kim's asking me to go first, so I will go first. Okay. Um, (laughs) Well, we, we both have always had uh, a strong connection to animals. Uh, Myself, I grew up in a house. um, My mother loved cats, so we always had cats in the house. We had pet gerbils as well. And, um, you know, throughout my life, I went on different family trips and saw different animals and just felt a strong connection to them. And I remember one situation when I was in... um, it was sixth or seventh grade. We were all playing on a street, a bunch of us boys. And one of the boys actually had a BB gun, and he was bragging how he had shot a squirrel with a BB gun. And even back then, that made me so upset and so sick um, that uh, probably was one of the first episodes in my life that, that led me up to, uh, to animal activism. So, um, I also wanted to say, wow. you know, I'm just, I'm just, yeah. Um, I'm also thrilled that, you know, I get to share this journey with my wife, that we get to do it together. And, um, it's not always an easy thing. And the fact that, that, w- that we have each other to lean on through this, um, helps me a lot. So, my wife is also very supportive of the things I'm doing, and many of them she does with me as well. So I know exactly what you're talking about. It's uh, one of the biggest blessings that you can receive in life uh, uh, to have that. Definitely agree. So th- that incident um, that alarmed you uh, also fueled you to become a defender Um, of animals. How did you slowly start getting involved in actually uh, doing the work that you're currently doing? Um, Well, you know, later on in life, um, we knew someone that was a big trophy hunter and we had a, he gave us like the grand tour of his house. And uh, it, when I saw what, what was in his house from black bear rugs to mounts to uh, wolf rugs. And I mean, you name it. Um, 
they had it in their house, uh, that really helped propel me to the next level. Um, plus, I was getting, you know, getting more information from different organizations about uh, protecting different animals from hunting and trophy hunting. My animal has always been, like my spirit animal has always been the wolf. I love okay. wolves. And uh, obviously we don't really, we don't have wild wolves in New Jersey. Um, but I believe, you know, the black bears and the deer have called me, um, you know, in place of, you know, not having wolves here to defend. So, uh my my spiritual uh my personal spirituality is uh, very similar although the deer and the black bear are not my uh, spirit animals or totems uh artemis who's the goddess of all wild things um in my meditations uh, asked me uh you know to protect her sacred creatures and the deer and the bear are her sacred uh, creatures and they're found here in new jersey um, so uh, okay. I understand what you're talking about with spirit animals, and the wolf was one of mine during a particular uh, part of my development, uh, and then came back briefly in like my mid 30s for a while. Okay, that's interesting. Um, okay. So, so you're you're the wolf defending the deer and the the bear. That that, that is very noble. Well, you know, I I like I defend them all. I defend the coyotes too. I love the coyotes. I love the foxes. You know, they all they all play a role in our ecosystem, and um, it's so important more now than ever for uh, you know to educate the public about you know how to coexist peacefully with wildlife because we're the ones that keep building and moving into their habitat. And I believe we're in the natural world. We're in their world. Um, so all the parking lots, all the pavement, it's all here, but it's still in the natural world. So it, it, I believe it's our responsibility to learn how to coexist peacefully with wildlife. And um, there's a lot of great resources out there. Animal Protection League has, has a lot of great resources on how to coexist and you know we'll get into that later on but um so so you guys are not just active but i would say you're phenomenally active <laughs> from uh, reading the material that uh, um you've uh, sent me from uh, uh finding your presence uh, here on uh, facebook uh not personally but in terms of the things that you're you're doing uh, and tales that I've heard from uh, people that I greatly respect, um, like uh, Julie and Cynthia. Um, so you guys are very, very active. Well, it, it, it's, it's nice to have um, a group, such a strong, talented group of people around. I mean, the reason we're, the reason we're on the Demarest Nature Center Board of Trustees is because Cynthia invited us to be there. You know, and it's an honor for yes, us I to be there. Yes, I was honored for a while. Yeah, I, 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 some on the board actually mentioned that to us that that you were prior to us. Um, you know, the door might be open one one day in the future. Who knows, right? 
I would like that. What happened was uh, I started having a scheduling um, scheduling difficulties uh, because I'm I'm also very busy in the community. Uh, so the conflicts unfortunately happened on the days that the Demarest Nature Center met, and also the Tenafly Environmental Commission, which I was a member of as well. And okay. uh, I offered to participate, like by telephone or <laughs> in any other way, because I wanted to be part of uh, uh, of these uh, noble initiatives because uh, they're they're very important. Um, but unfortunately it didn't work out, but, uh, thank you for letting me know the door is still open. And as soon as my schedule, uh, is a little bit freer, I intend on knock, knocking on that door again. All right. That sounds great. I mean, uh, so important to protect the natural places. I mean, there's great, uh, especially in the Northern Valley, there's a lot of great, a lot of great, uh, nature centers. I know I listened. I listened to uh, to Julie's great podcast she did with you. As always, she does a great job, and uh, she mentioned that too. And uh, in between Tenafly and Demarest and Closter Nature Center, I mean, and Flat Rock. I mean, in the area, there's a lot of great ones. So uh, we're lucky to have them, and we need to do what we can to protect them and the wildlife that lives in them. So very important. And uh, Kim, are you ready now? I'd love to hear your journey as well. Oh, sure. I sure am. Okay. Well, I, I grew up in a household um, that, you know, loved, loved animals. You know, there was no hunting or anything in my family. Um, I grew up with dogs. We had a rabbit, fish, birds. Um, my parents, they liked to travel, so they always took my, myself and my brother to different places to see animals. Um, I went on trips, like, you know, out of the country. I swam with dolphins several times. Oh, wow. One of my passions. And, I, you know, as a child, my first connection to animals was actually to deer. I mean, um, as a child or as a baby, my, I was uh, supposedly telling me, to this day I still am, uh, I had a, a love and devotion to actually Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which that sounds funny, but if you look <laughs> at him, he was a white-tailed deer. If you really, if you really mm-hmm. he wasn't really a reindeer, if you look at him. But like, so my, I always had that connection to deer, but to all animals and dolphins as well. I always felt a connection to them. That is amazing. You still have that connection, and now you're defending uh, the the animal that you have a, a connection to. That is awesome. Right. Yes. Through whether through activism, and you know, we also love you know going to the nature center and going out in wildlife photography. That's also our passion. One of my favorite yes, sports is to photograph the deer. That's one of my favorites. And actually, and maybe in, in another show we can discuss too. Actually, this weekend we had one of our first fawn rescues. So, but we can oh, talk awesome. about that next time. We had an exciting time. We rescued a fawn that was in need. We saved his life, and we have a great story to share with you next time. Okay. So another group. Another group. Another group reached out to Animal Protection League with a with a fawn in need and. Um, we got the call, we got the and call. we went and picked him up. We took him home, took care of him, and you know, now he's, you know, he's in a safe place right now. So, and he made oh, it. So we're very happy. We lived it when we lived in Pennsylvania around half a decade ago. We were there for ten years, and uh, the, the deer, turkey, bears—you name it. You know, we would see them every day. We lived in the Poconos in the mountains. And bald eagles okay. used to fly right swoop down by our window. 
uh, it was a very magical time, a very magical place. And uh, the deer had an affinity with uh, my wife when she was out working on gardening. And uh, she made friends with one deer in particular, who every time she had fawns, she would bring the fawns over to introduce them to my uh, right. To wife. And they're proud of sure. Yes, yes. And she'd always come over, and my and right. uh, my wife would give them apples and you know things. Uh, she would always make sure to respect their wildness by not like handing it to them, but you know putting it where they can right. get at it. And uh, Filene, that was her name. Uh, when she died, she came to say goodbye. We didn't realize oh, wow. it at the time, but then after that, we never saw her again. Uh, and she had been through some fight with uh, some sort of animal. Uh, so okay. she, she came over to say goodbye, and it, we never forgot that. Wow, that's, wow. that's, very, that's very special. Yeah. So when you met Mark, were you aware of each other's uh, uh, fondness for animals? And I'm sure that's played a very big part in your lives together. Right, yeah, that was definitely part of the connection. You know, and I also, uh, through the years, got him to, you know, to give up meat as well, because that was okay. something that was important to me. So yeah, I helped change his, you know, his, his, you know, he used to eat, you know, meat and, you know, little steak yeah. and things like that. And over time, I got, you know, with the factory farming and all the aspects, of course, the, you know, the inhumane aspect of it, but, you know, what it's doing to the environment and, of course, for the rights of the animal, you know, yeah. over time, you know, I got, I convinced them and, yeah Kim, Kim st- yeah, Kim started the process, and uh, I, I used to have the mindset, well, you know, they, they were raised for that purpose, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. Well, when, and as I learned more and saw more how, especially the factory farmed animals are treated, but no, no animal that's killed for meat is, is treated right, but especially the factory farmed ones, I realized that it's, it's not right to do. So, um, you know, Kim played a big role in my life with that. You know, she started the process. That is something that a lot of animal activists uh, have embraced. Uh, I must confess, I still eat meat, but uh, since uh, being associated with uh, Julie and Cynthia and uh, Angie and others, uh, and I'm sure through my association with uh, both of you, um, I've cut down dramatically on the amount of uh, meat that I eat. Okay, that's great. That's fantastic. And especially now, what we've been preaching to uh, the Demarest Nature Center uh, between us, and there's also a, there's also uh, Richard Juretsky, who's a vegan, who's on the board, has been preaching as well to um, more vegan options. More vegan options at, at our events. You know, we have an Oktoberfest event coming up in October. And, you know, some of the staples of Oktoberfests, you know, German tradition is, you know, the wiener schnitzels and, yes, yes. Uh, and those type of bratwurst. But this day and age, you know, there's people out there that can make a vegan bratwurst. There's people yes. out there that can make a vegan wiener schnitzel. So, so we've been reaching out and, and trying to educate fellow board members and, that, and everybody's been open to that. So, which, you know, it's, it's been wonderful. So we're trying to get, you know, as many vegan options there as possible and give people a chance, you know, to try it and see what else is out there. Right, and the board is very open to it. Um, there is some resistance awesome. to change to taking the actual meat off of, off of the menu. But we can at least limit it, limit it. If we can limit it and show 
that hey, these things are out there. It's it's positive change and it helps it helps the environment. You know, as as a nature center, yeah, the we should be we should be protecting nature exactly. and protecting the environment. So, um, I have an optimal wellness show, and uh, okay. different people with different uh, uh, views on uh, diet and exercise and uh, um, things like that are invited on the show to share uh, their views. Uh, and I would love to invite both of you to talk about uh, being a vegan or being vegetarian uh, and uh, share your views with my audience. Okay. That sounds great. It would be honest. Thank you. Um, so, okay. So you guys met and you became aware that you're animal lovers and uh, um, you influenced Mark to, um, stop eating uh, meat, and uh, I'm sure you guys feel great. Every vegan I've spoken to feels great, uh, so I'm sure you guys right. feel great uh, also. <laughs> uh, and uh, um, now, how did you begin getting involved with the different organizations, and what what were some of your experiences uh, as you uh, explored to find the proper place for yourselves? Um, I think the, our first stop I was probably. Um, Actually, the, the the New Jersey Bear Group. Okay. And that was in 2000. Yeah, in in, in 2010. I, that was our like our probably our first calling. Um, in the sense that you know we had the experience. I think Mark had previously talked about um, with a, a trophy hunter that we well, someone we knew and later found out was a trophy hunter, and what we were exposed to and what I what we saw, you know, devastated us and, and really made a huge impact on our lives and, and pushed us forward and to get involved right away. And so we reached out, you know, and got involved with the New Jersey Bear Group and Animal Protection League of New Jersey. And it really started from there from, with the bears, the deer, and then we met, you know, Cynthia got involved with the Nature Center. I mean, it was all one circle, you know, protecting the environment while, and protecting wildlife. And speaking out, you know, against the trophy hunting and the recreational killing that's going on. I mean, these are sentient beings that have just as much right to live as we do. And these and people, so a lot of the trophy hunting. Yeah, they, I mean, they rather just shoot mothers and cubs over a bait pile. I mean, it's really, there's mm-hmm. nowhere. Same with the deer. The same with the, the deer. The deer are baited. Yeah, pregnant, you know, does are killed with the fawn. It's. Yeah, that's what happened in Saddle River. There's no, really that's, no words. that's what happened in Saddle River last year. You know, they killed uh, 151 deer. Um, the amount of fawns were not counted. Um, but in Essex County, the most recent Essex County deer hunt last year, they killed 100 unborn fawns. So. And we always know. I always feel that there's always solutions to any conflict with wildlife. I mean, killing is never the answer. There's always a humane solution. That's right. And, and that's what Fish, Division of Fish and Wildlife, um, what they do, they use conflict to blame the animal to justify killing. So they use, okay, deer auto accidents. Justifies we have to kill the deer because it'll reduce the deer auto accidents. Or, yeah, or reduce Lyme or disease. Lyme disease. Because there's so many myths with that. Yeah, and that's, that's false. That, it's, well. just, it's just not right. And that's like me saying, okay, I'm allergic to bee stings, so I'm going to kill all the bees on my, around my property. It's just, it's, it just doesn't make any sense. The, the real solution is to solve the conflicts. Right. So how do you solve 
steer auto collisions? How do, you, how do you solve Lyme disease? You know, it's not by killing killing the animal. No, you lower speed limits, electronic signage, better lighting on roadways. You can erect fencing, habitat modification along roadways, wildlife, you know, passing, passing, uh, right. you know, over right. or under. I right. mean, crossing. And, and there's so and, many and different he, solutions out there. Yes, there They're are. not being implemented. Yes, there are. And Rivervale did none of them. Yeah, they failed yeah, on many levels. Well, they did one. They they, they passed the what they passed this pretty strong wildlife feeding ordinance, which we support. Animal Protection League supports. So they did do that which was different from Saddle River. Saddle River passed a wildlife feeding ordinance that was so weak, you might as well not have any ordinance at all. But mm. They did electronic They did electronic signage there, they which, did do which that. we had to ask. And then they had a nice a former councilman that I used to speak with. You know, he got the job done for us after we requested it and had electronic deer crossing signs out there. And this is the same request I actually put in for Rivervale, you know, and they used the excuse they don't have enough signage. But... You know, that is a solution, and there's a certain area in that town where they're having the, the majority of the deer auto collisions. And the easy solution would be to have the electronic signage right in that location. But they're failing their residents by not implementing that. That's correct. They, you know, it, it, it's easy to sit, sit there as a, as a mayor or council person and just say, okay, we're doing something about the problem. We're having fish and wildlife come in here. They say they know best. You know, they're a state organization, so they know best. And they say to kill the deer, so we're doing it. Check the box. We did it. Okay? Well, that, what that's causing is it's causing more conflict and more cost to taxpayers in the long run. They're not solving, they're not solving the problem. Um, if they, would, if they would do more work up, do more work up front, it would uh, solve the problem in the long run. And doesn't killing the deer just make the deer breed faster? Uh, yes. So yeah, it increases. Yeah, it'll increase the fertility. Mm-hmm. Opens up the territory, more deer move in, and instead of having one or two fawns, they can have triplets. It's you know, there's more habitat and more food supply. Right. So yeah, hunting increases fertility. And we and we touched on baiting too. Um, they're allowed to bait deer and they're allowed to bait bears in New Jersey. A lot of states that hunt bear and hunt deer don't allow baiting. Um, what baiting does, you know, Division of Fish and Wildlife will say, okay, don't feed the deer, don't feed the bears, but at the same time they're allowing baiting. So the and the baiting has a lot of negative effects. It contributes yes. to forest degeneration by concentrating deer, who then feed on the natural vegetation, you know, attract small predators who then, you know, prey upon ground nesting birds. You know, baiting spreads invasive and exotic seeds. And disease. You know, and disease. Well, baiting, yeah, lures deer to baited areas, increases auto deer collisions, increases deer reproduction, and, you know, mm-hmm. like, disease. Like, like, attract, like, uh, you know, like raccoons and rabies. Chronic wasting disease. Mm-hmm. Chronic wasting disease has been in the news lately, and there have not been any official cases of, of it yet in New Jersey. Um, but it's in surrounding states, and it is spreading, and it is spread through saliva. So when you have okay. deer being attracted to an area, 
um, that that can spread that can increase the risk of spreading chronic wasting disease. I I don't know very much about chronic wasting disease. Can you? How does the person or the um, animal uh, waste uh, as a result of uh, saliva? Like what happens? Uh, it's, it's like a, it's a brain degeneration disease. Yeah. So they say. Um, the deer almost becomes like a zombie, what they call quote zombie, zombie deer. Okay. So they're walking, they're walking around and aimlessly, and um, it's very sad. It's uh, and um, it's something that if if baiting was eliminated, then that would cut the risk of of chronic wasting disease. And some states have eliminated have eliminated have banned it baiting. because of that. Mm-hmm. Now, since all these facts are are gathered and provable, um, how does the um, Fish and Wildlife Agency counteract these facts? Well, so they don't address they don't address the baiting. They they do tell they do advocate for residents not to feed the deer. You know that the deer can survive on their own without being, you know, fed by humans, but they they do not, you know, address the, the baiting aspect of it, mm-hmm. which is artificial feeding, which is the same. My wife, who does most of our research, uh, she because uh, they uh, I got involved uh, um, for a while uh, with uh, Julie and Angie. Uh, one of the fights was uh, they were trying to make bow hunting. Um, something that could be done in communities uh, here in our uh, neck of the woods in Bergen County. And that's insane. Mm-hmm. It and sure is. When we looked at uh, bow hunter sites and my wife uh, did this research and then would you know point things out to me, uh, it was frightening the type of things that uh, these bow hunters were saying on their own sites. Uh, yeah, about the hunters form. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, shooting the uh, wounded, pets, yeah, the wounded yards, shooting 50%. children. Shoot. It's frightening. It's like yeah. I don't want these people anywhere near anywhere near where my loved ones no. uh, and my community members live. Yeah, it, it, it's a fact that bow hunting has about a fifty percent wounding rate in deer, and we saw this in Saddle River from the last hunt. We've been looking at police reports since two thousand fifteen in Saddle River on deer auto accidents and deer and deer complaints. And it jumped significantly during the hunt in Saddle River. There were a lot of deer that were wounded that went onto other properties before they were before they were found. Some weren't even found. And some deer I mean the deer they it takes them they won't bleed out for twenty four to forty eight hours. Before they die, horrific death. Horrific death. And what if it's a pregnant doe? What if it's a pregnant doe? What if you know? Yeah, that's the problem. That's as inhumane as it gets. And this this is what the public is just not. It doesn't, you know, get that aspect. It needs to be, you know, advertised or or put out there more. Mm -hmm. I think to to reach more people that this is what's happening. I mean, these are, you know, you got to make some kind of connection with animals. I mean. That's their young. You're killing a pregnant right. doe. Right, and there is, uh, you know, being inside. Right, a, a lot of people do care about animals. You know, these people 
these people that called us about the orphan fawn, they cared about animals. A lot of people do. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you, Kim. I think we need to, you know, bring more, need, more, more public more awareness of these types definitely, of things. Definitely. Not many people know that that's what's happened. Well, are you able to capture images through your photography? Uh, because a picture is worth uh, a thousand uh, words, and uh, maybe people realize. Uh, um, yeah, we have used that photography. Yeah, we have photographed actually some of deer that were killed. You know, mm-hmm. that were, it's gruesome to look at, but yeah, to advocate for them, we have used those. Um, others that have been hit by cars, we actually did a video about that. You know, about drivers. You know, about reducing speed limit and different tips. And it was, we did photograph a deer that had been hit and killed by a car. Yeah. The other ones, you know, different hunting, you know, accidents. It's sad, but, yeah, we do do those kind of photographs as well to give the, the, the deer a voice. That, that is, is powerful. It's hard. It's hard, but it's, it's definitely, it's part of being an activist. I mean, in the beginning, it was hard. I, I can't, I don't know if you can speak for Mark, but for myself, in the beginning, even going up to the Bearway station. I mean, it took me a year or two. I, I, I had to watch it on the TV. I told myself, oh, I can't do it. I can't go up there. I can't see dead bears. And, you know, but after a while, it just it gets to you and you realize that that's just part of it. You have to go up there and you got to have to be there for them. You know, pay your respect and, you know, and look at the killers in the eyes. And, you know, you have to, you have to be there for the bears, for these animals. No doubt. What's happening is just... Is most of the hunting done in Jersey for consumption, for food, uh, or is it done for sport, uh, for trophies? Uh, it's the, the black bear is a sport. It's a trophy trophy hunt. It's sport. The deer hunt. The deer, too. It's I, recreational killing. Yeah, I, I, used to, I used to believe that. It's a putting a head, that, on, a head on the wall. I used to believe that a lot of these hunters ate the venison. Um, and I'm sure some do. But even if you go on the Division of Fish and Wildlife's website, and you search for the Big Buck Classic, they'll have pictures from every year of all these people with their big buck heads. And it goes from child to woman to man lined up with these big buck eight, heads. Four point, eight point bucks. It's absolutely yeah. sickening. And, and it's, when I saw that, it's a trophy hunt. I believe the deer hunt is no different from the bear hunt. It's a trophy hunt. And um, maybe more venison is eaten than bear meat. It probably is. But deer hunt is still a trophy hunt in my mind. So well, it's Even on the website, the division, I mean, not all deer are suitable for consumption. And you wouldn't want to eat the deer around here with right. all the pesticides and everything else that's right. put. Right. So in, Rivervale, so in Rivervale, they're going to hunt these. If they want to hunt these deer, they're going to hunt these deer mostly on the golf courses. So the pesticides. With all the, exactly right. All the pesticides. Mm. In Pennsylvania, when we lived there, uh, we got to know like a lot of local uh, people, and some of them hunted. But in Pennsylvania, they they hunted for food. Right. Right. Yeah. So, we're, you know, animal, uh, I'm sure some animal people animal were trophy hunting, but uh, the majority of people right. we met, they they hunted to feed their you know, families. They, yeah, they lived uh, off the land. Yeah. Some people. Yeah. And animal animal protection yep. league is not is not against that. If if you're hunting for survival purposes. Um, we, we're okay with that. Um, but 
that's like less than that's, that's such a fraction, fractional percentage in New Jersey. This is a, yeah, this is a trope we have. Rebecca, for the deer, it's really it's recre it's recreational killing. You know, the division continues to increase the deer population for hunters yeah. with their practices. Yeah, they, they continue to promote it for for funding by the sale of hunting licenses and by the excise taxes that they receive from gun, guns and ammunition sales from the federal Pittman-Robertson Act. And, um, you know, these are outdated policies. These are, these are you know, ancient policies that, that need to be changed. And uh, there should be more state funding for wildlife management from wildlife watching, wildlife photography like us. I'd be willing to pay a fee to go into a park and have rights to photograph the bears and the deer that are in that park. Of course I would. If that money's going back to, 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 to re truly conserve and protect the wildlife, of course I would do that. And I'd pay more than a hunting license. That, that makes a lot of sense because uh, a lot of people do enjoy uh, nature and uh, uh, you don't have to kill something to enjoy watching it. <laughs> that's, that's a horrible... Yeah, but there's so uh, much more. It's like, it's like having an outdoor classroom. There's so much educational value in going out in nature, in the wild, and photographing and watching these creatures. More you can learn out there than you can in school. And I think, you know, it's a great place, great way, opportunity to take children out and get them to enjoy wildlife and build compassion, you know, for other living beings. You know, and through photography and spending time with wildlife, you know, it's mm -hmm. very important. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, very important. And um, now your, your nature photography, do you have a site where you put your pictures or are they published in, in uh, magazines? Yes. We have a, um, we do have a, um, a Nat Geo uh, site, a National Geographic, a photo uh, website on, on their page with our photographs. Um, and then we are on a, a couple other ones here and there. But most of the photographs are on our um, Nat Geo site. It's called Your Shot, Y-O-U-R-S-H-O-T. On Nat Geo. Your Shot, uh, National Geographic. And... Uh, yeah, it's a great way to connect connect with fellow wildlife photographers and you know share stories, photographs. You know, right. and they, plus you can you know write put educational information with your photographs too. You can do it as well, so it's got different value. A link to that, I'll gladly share it. Um, right okay, now, I don't have a yeah. Yeah, uh, Fine Art of America. We were on that as well. Actually, Cynthia recommended that. We're on the Fine Fine Art of America. And then or we do Twitter sometimes and like a, a Flickr account. But, you know, we're, we're looking for other other resources. Just trying to find the time. That's so more. Yeah, I'd rather that's, be out in the woods. I'd rather be out in the woods with the animals than on the computer. <laughs> Cynthia is an awesome resource, as is uh, Julie. Um, Julie yes. was one of the first people I met uh, when I came uh, back to Tenafly, um, and okay. uh, Cynthia I knew. Uh, through my association with uh, Charles Atlas, uh, the exercise okay. uh, company. Um, but uh, she, she's a wonderful uh, person as well. And Yeah, they're, uh, both, yeah, they're both beautiful people. We're lucky to have met them. 
We are. We are lucky to have them in our community, and uh, uh, they yes. also connect me with many of the things that I'm currently connected with or was uh, connected with. So they're very resourceful and very generous with uh, their knowledge. Definitely. I agree. What do you dream of doing uh, with your activism in the future? Right now you're very active through various organizations. Uh, are you thinking of starting an organization of your own? Is there, is there something that isn't being addressed that you feel a burning need to address? I mean, one thing we want to do is actually we were thinking about going, taking, going back, uh, taking a college class for wildlife rehab. That was something okay. we talked about for a while. We had, we had the basic training, and, you know, we, just, we did take the swan in, and we've had uh, – we've rescued birds in the past where you know, we've taken animals in, and they've stayed in our bathtub. So um, <laughs> that takes another passion of ours, and we have space in our home to do that. So that was something on the side that we were thinking about, getting some kind of certificate and, and you know, an education – yeah. Certificate in wildlife rehab, take it to a, in a different level. Yeah, we've we've had uh, we've had a lot of experiences since we've been together where we've we've, we've saved we've, exactly calling. That's right. We've saved injured animals, and the one that really sticks out in my mind was the goose in Edgewater. Okay. We used to go down to we, early on. We used to go to, down to Edgewater quite a bit, and one time we were down there. There was a uh, Canada goose, and his legs was her, his legs or her legs were tangled in fishing line. Mm. and was really struggling, having a hard time. And um, we were able to um, free him from the fishing line, and they were able to go off on their own and swim away, and swim away <laughs> in the Hudson. So it was beautiful. Wow. It was a great, great experience. And then when the Save Edgewater Geese campaign through uh, League of Humane Voters and Animal Protection League came about, we were, you know, we were all in on that campaign, and uh, and uh, it, like it, it came full circle for us with that whole thing. And uh, when when Edgewater decided to go from a lethal campaign where they were actually having the USDA, USDA come in and gas Canada geese, which is pretty inhumane. Yes. When they went from that to a non-lethal program where they used our help. To do some habitat modification, it was it was just so it was so rewarding, uh, such a positive experience. So, and now now League of Humane Voters and Animal Protection League are, have actually expanded that. So we're actually talking to other places like Greenwood Lake, um, like Angie and some of our other colleagues have been up to Greenwood Lake talking to those people, that commission, to get them to move from a um, a lethal plan to a non-lethal plan. So there's a, a lot going on <laughs> at League of Humane Voters and Animal Protection. Yeah, we actually went up there. We saw they were actually put the, the, the fake coyotes out. So we're, out, we're up there actually photographing that. That was part of their uh-huh. non-lethal approach. So, and it seemed to be working, which was good. And we, we, we photographed there was no geese there or anything. So we did, that was one of our photo activism <laughs> that we went up there. Wow. And then also we did a rescue too. Like we have... Um, Another one of our passions um, for dogs is Siberian Huskies. Like they, they own they own our heart. We had um, our first one uh, for 14 years. We lost her, and then we took some time off. And actually, it was a beautiful story. We were doing um, a nature center outreach table 
for, for the Denver Nature Center. And um, that was what it was last year. Was but this was in at the it was last year. It was last Northern year. Valley Northern Valley. last year. Okay, yeah, a year ago. The one at Northern Valley uh, High School. And uh, we okay. were there doing the nature, nature table, and a lady was walking um, a husky. And I, I went up to her and I said, oh, can I pet your dog? And she's like, oh, actually, he's up for adoption. So, of course, I looked at Mark. I said, I think we're ready. <laughs> so, so, so we rescued him, and, you know, we've had him now for a year. So, and he's doing great. So, and he actually awesome. he was astray from Texas. And they rescued him and brought him up to New Jersey, and now he's here. So, he's like the love of our life, too. <laughs> so Demers, Demers Nature Center brought brought us to him. Yeah, and the deer as well. Yeah. The deer kind of brought us to the Nature Center. Right. Nature Center brought us to him. Right. So. It's, it's all connected, and uh, these yeah, good all, things all from all from it show you that you're on the right <laughs> path. Right, that's true. <laughs> wow, we have more than a handful of shows here. There's so many topics uh, <laughs> that uh, we'll be doing, even uh, just on the uh, we have a, a dog that we got uh, recently because our, our Chihuahua, Xena the Warrior Princess, uh, died, and uh, okay. we were heartbroken. Okay. And even though she was a tiny yeah. dog, she left a big gaping hole uh, in our lives. Uh, so we yeah. got another dog, a Chihuahua uh, mini pincer mix, uh, very different than Xena. Her name is Nebula, uh, not after the Marvel okay. movie, but after the aerial, you know, the, the space phenomena. And uh, she's very different, but she's she's you know very loving and loyal, and uh, um, you know we we love her to death. So she's uh, you know filling that hole. Nothing will ever replace Zena, uh, but now we have uh, Nebula. So. Okay. Well. Yeah, they're all special luck, and unique in their own it. ways. That's for sure. <laughs> yep. Yep. They now, they're all right. They're all unique. Okay. Yes, they are like people. Right, that's true. <laughs> that's right. Now, um, like like I said, my my schedule doesn't allow me to currently attend the uh, environmental committees and the the nature center meetings, uh, but that will be changing soon. Um, and in the interim, um, I, I would like to spread information and uh, raise awareness uh, through what I can do, which is uh, these uh, podcasts and my um, you know my online presence and. Uh, all the different things in my community that I do uh, um, that I can, you know, budget into my schedule. So uh, I received something, I believe, from Angie. Uh, I will share that uh, by week's end. Uh, and okay. anything you can send me, any links that you feel is useful, uh, I will dedicate a day to uh, um, animal activism and the environment, uh, and I will share whatever information uh, people uh, send me to make sure that it, it gets out there. Uh, and uh, um, so th this is what I can do now <laughs> with the time okay, and the that energy. Okay, that sounds great. We, we appreciate that. I'd be very happy to do it. Yeah, the big things, the big things right now are, are in our area are the deer, of course. And uh, you know, yes. Julie mentioned it. The Englewood meeting next week. Yeah, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be there. Um, uh, Rivervale, they they put a pause on on any deer hunting, uh, but we still need to keep the pressure on there as well. So, um, so you know, the deer in the Northern Valley and still the Pascag Valley is uh, is the big the big thing right now. So we'll yeah. definitely send you some more information. 
Thank you, and I and I will help spread that information. Um, have you talked to the folks at the Northern Valley Greenway? No, um, um, our, the, yeah. but our president, I believe he's on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember when the Northern Valley Greenway was uh, a, a, a thought floating around in Christine Everon's head, and uh, she was on uh, these shows talking about talking about it. Uh, and then it finally came into existence. So yeah, I'm, I'm greatly honored uh, her thought process and the thought process of some of the people involved uh, in it uh, was captured during the dreaming stages because it's an awesome thing, uh, and. Uh, um, Definitely. Yeah, basically they are going to have to come to decisions as to what people can do on the greenway or not in regard to uh, animals. So this might be a good time to start those conversations. Right. It's a good suggestion. Yeah. Thank you. Wow, this is this is awesome. Um, and aside from your animal activism, uh, what else do you do and your photography? Uh, like Kim said, I mean, we, we like to travel. Um, we, we love hi- like hiking. and We love to go to explore different places. and um, like the, We love New Hampshire, the White Mountain. Oh, that's you know, beautiful. We love going there. The Adirondacks we go often. Like those are some of our favorite places, different hiking trips and, you know, spending time outdoors with wildlife is like our passion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, one day I want to see a moose. Yes. In the wild, <laughs> and we've been to New Hampshire. They're they're around in, in the Adirondacks. They're around in Vermont, New Hampshire. We've been to all these places, but we haven't seen a wild moose yet. And um, I just I dream of the day to do that. And uh, I, I hope I would you love attain that dream. So uh, you know, sorry to get. No, no, it was just, uh, it was just saying, it was just, uh, you know, I'd love to get some great photographs of uh, some wild moose one day and, uh, you know, just encourage others. Again, it's, it's just so important to encourage others the beauty of nature and the beauty of wildlife and why it's so important to protect it. And there's just, and there's so many ways that you can do that. That's why I think it's important you know, to encourage people, you know, get involved with your local nature center. There's so many, you know, so many ways that you can help, you know, just go out and explore, you know, there's so many different options out there. Like with the Demers Nature Center, you know, I got a chance to, you know, design their event flyers and, you know, Mark and myself both were wrote, wrote columns for the newsletter. Another way we awesome. wrote, wrote letters about deer and coyotes and get more education out there and ways to coexist with wildlife. Right. And, and there's so many different ways that you can do that. And at, you know, at, and at the, the last nature fair that we had, uh, we had a children's table we put together, and I got, you know, educational wildlife coloring pages, you know, to engage children, and they loved it. Our table was packed, and Mark and awesome. I went to the nature center in the morning. We, we cut skunk cabbage and mushrooms that day, and <laughs> we brought it in. So the kids got a chance to touch and feel, you know, it, it, was, it was a great day. They really enjoyed it. You know, and then other, time, other years we did um, – we donated, you know, children's books to local libraries. That was another thing that we wanted to do to try to, you know, encourage children for, you know, to appreciate wildlife. And we did one for black bears to local libraries. And then last year, 
uh, we donated um, a deer book called Snow Bunny the Deer, Mark Schneider. He's a, fantastic, he's a an ad, fellow deer advocate and uh, a friend of ours. You know, he's, he's wow. gentle souls of the forest. Yeah. I can give you more information about him as well. He's a great, great he's guy. Awesome. I'm president yeah. of the Friends of the Creskill Library, and I do a lot of things at the Creskill Library. If you guys would uh, want to do a presentation there, we'd love to have you. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, that'd be great. Okay, we can do yeah, deer or bears. That would be yeah, that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Both. Okay. Now, yeah, we intensify the uh, um, the nature center also does after school programs as well. Okay. And uh, I I've, I've been working with enrichment now for a couple of years with with these type of uh, programs. Uh, so that might be something like a long-term uh, goal. Uh, but this way you could reach the kids directly in, into the school and uh, generate some revenue for the nature center as well. Yeah, that actually sounds wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, right now you know, the Demarest Nature Center does uh, does different things with the schools. Like we just did a, uh, scholarship. a scholarship, an essay contest for a scholarship. So – we're actually putting the Denver State is, is putting money out to encourage um, a pre, to encourage people to write essays to appreciate kids children to write essays to appreciate nature. So yeah, and to study wow. a, you know you know in a college course in that in the field in that field. Right, but, well. that, but that's a, a good idea too on the um, um, to to work with the schools more to generate more donations. So. And then Thank we also um, do. We will also send you too um, for the for the New Jersey Bear Group. We do um, a fundraiser uh, every year. Actually, we've done seven. This we're going into I think our fifth or sixth year now. Uh, we do um, yeah. We do a bear. It's like a rummage yard sale in Westwood at a local church. And we do that every year, and that's coming up on um, actually on was it June June eighth? It's a it's a week yeah, from uh, it's a week from this Saturday. From Saturday. Yeah, they do it. I can send you the information. It's in Westwood. And um, at Grace Church there, so that'll be like that's always a big event for us, you know, to raise money for the bears. Helps out with you know educational literature and litigation, and you know, mm-hmm. puts helps put banners up for the bears, you know, as well as other other things. Awesome! Please again, let me know about these things, and I'll post them and let okay. people know that uh, that they're there. And you guys certainly deserve the title Champions of Arcadia in uh, Greek mythology. And even in modern times, Arcadia is the untamed uh, wilderness uh, with all its mystery okay. and uh, romance. It's where um, Artemis uh, um, hunted and Orion hunted and protected uh, the uh, animals that uh, people were not hunting for food. So that's why I named this okay. uh, Arcadia. Okay. And uh, oh, wow. when, I was, when I was at the Demarest Nature Center, I was running classes in Demarest. On finding your power animal, I remember that. <laughs> and oh wow! You're speaking, so that that was awesome. Um, Kim, cool. do you also share the animal spirituality too? Yes, I do. Oh, that is incredibly uh, awesome. What's coming up in like the the next couple of weeks? Uh, uh, you mentioned uh, the event at uh, the church. Um, is and the event in Englewood um, about the deer. Is there anything else that's happening in in like the week ahead that if people are local and if they're interested, 
um, they can uh, hook up with? Well, the only thing I would say is, you know, again, with the deer, the big thing now with the deer is I encourage people to write letters to the editors of the local papers. Okay. Um, right, especially the, the Bergen Record or their local, their local paper. Right. And it's also important for, you know, residents in Bergen County to attend your mayor and council meetings and speak up during the open to the public comment period. Right. You know, voice, you know, support for deer and support for non-lethal and deer conflict management. And not everybody right. can make meetings. If you can't make a meeting, you can still contact them. Um, you can yeah. still via email or, or some of these towns. One of them, I think it was Harrington Park. I couldn't email the Harrington Park mayor. So I had to um, email the clerk who actually printed out my email and put it in the uh, the mayor's box. So if you have to call or email a clerk or a town administrator or whatever, um, get in contact with your town's mayor and council and tell them we don't want hunting in our community. We don't want we don't want um, senseless uh, killing and weapons in our community. We want non-lethal solutions that work. And um, those are the most important things right now, you know. Um, we also, I mean, we, we also, you know, are collecting petition signatures against, you know, the bear hunt, against the deer hunt in New Jersey, against deer hunting. So they're welcome, you know, to reach out to the Animal Protection League. You know, they can email. We can, you know, reach out to us. And they can help collect, you know, petition signatures. We go out outside post offices, you know, and out in the public or if they want it, we can print them a sheet and they want to go collect signatures at their job or anywhere. We're just trying, you know, to build, you know, as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we also do, like, you know, we're having the upcoming demo, but we also do what's called a, a two-can-do banner protest where we have the banners and then two people could take the banner and go you know, whenever they want. You just call whatever town you're in, local police department, and say, I'm going to be at this street, you know, with a banner you know, for whatever, an hour or two hours. And then, you know, it's very powerful. It's free advertising, two people holding a banner, you know, whether it's against deer hunting or against bear hunting, you know, it's out there it's in the public. A lot of people don't know. We, we did this banner protest actually in Rivervale. Not everybody reads the newspapers and people were driving. They stopped their cars and, and you know, they were shocked. They yeah. couldn't believe that that possibility was going to happen in Rivervale on their golf courses. So it's, that's so important to be out there with the banner, reaching the public. You know, we always say, too, meet with your legislators or, you know, contact your legislators, you know. Tell them, you know, you don't want hunting. You want laws against it, you know, ban, you know, baiting. Mm-hmm. You know, you contact Governor Murphy, you know. Let people, you know, we want to let everyone know that we do educational presentations, Animal Protection League, whether it's for the bears or for the deer. You know, there's also... A fellow colleague of our Doreen, she does outreach events, you know, throughout the state for the bears. Anyone can come. You know, we're always looking for volunteers to join us. You know, for the we love bears, you love deer, or whatever animal you love. You know, all are welcome. You know, we're here to support each other. You know, and give all animals a voice. And how can and, and, we uh, both of you together? We're we're running out of time. The the, the hour passed so quickly. Um, how can folks uh, contact uh, you directly? Okay, we can give you our email. Okay. I, I think the, the, yeah. it's, it's also on the bear. It's on 
actually, if we can give it to you as well, so we can be contacted on the Save NJ Bears um, okay. website, SaveNJBears.com. If you go under, our pictures are on there, and you click on our name. It has our email address, which is also, is it Save New Jersey Bears? It's save, it's save, New, save NJ Bears at gmail.com. At gmail.com. So save NJ Bears at gmail.com. I mean, we're Thank always looking for volunteers. Go ahead. And we also have, we also have, uh, if anyone is, is that excited about saying they're against the, the deer hunt or the bear hunt, we also have lawn signs. Yeah. We have, we have no deer hunt lawn signs, which have gone up like crazy, crazy in Rivervale. And we have no bear hunt lawn signs that are, they're always popular. So, um, so yeah, they can reach out if they would like one. Like I said, yeah, we were all over Rivervale. That was also what try, would help put them, put a pause on it as residents reached out to us and, we had residents come to our house to pick them up, and we were drove around all around town, like delivering them. So, which made a big impact. So, those are also available. They're seven dollars for the signs, and you know, we can deliver them, and you know. That is awesome. I'm going to ask for get signs. Get the word out uh, there. It's free too, as soon get the word as out there. As the elections <laughs> pass, and I de a de election yeah. sign my lawn. I will definitely put those out. <laughs> Thank you so very much. I, I greatly enjoyed our initial conversation, and I'm looking forward to many more. Um, and uh, I will be uh, PMing you this weekend, so that or emailing rather this weekend, so that we can uh, arrange the next one. Okay. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Sounds it was a pleasure speaking with you. Sounds good. Thank you, Hercules. Appreciate it. Okay, you're very welcome, and thank you too. And thanks to all who've been listening. Uh, until next time. Uh, this is Hercules, Mark, and Kim wishing you joyous journeys and safe adventures. Olympian blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure. Now, go forth and create a better world, one filled with light and love. On behalf of the pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be Joy.